like, oh, I wish Derek was a part of my church. And then God said, wait a minute, you serve the same God. I'm like, oh, yeah, there's, there's that. <laughs> Can I, I just want to tag on that. Thank you, Jim. If you're struggling financially, um, and, and that might look all kinds of different things. I, you know, as many of you know, we just got back from Kenya and we saw people that were struggling, struggling financially. And, you know, kind of the, the knee-jerk reaction would be, well, we don't struggle here. The reality is struggle looks different in different places, right? And no one can tell you, well, just don't struggle, right? Because then you have to struggle with that. Um, but if you're struggling, if there's a need financially, can I just speak the promises of God over you that he is Jehovah Jireh, he is your provider? And that whole thing about faith and faithfulness that I was talking about applies to your finances as it does to any other part of your life. And that God absolutely wants to show himself faithful in your finances. And so, Lord, this morning, I just ask that you would bring provision I pray this morning that there would be job promotions. I pray that there would be new contracts. I pray that there would be decreases, decreases in bills and increases in income, Father God, and that you would do it by your mighty hand and that you would get the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we started a series last Sunday, and I'm excited to continue this morning. Uh, the series is entitled Unstuck, Unstuck. Every one of us has been at a point in our lives where we feel stuck, whether it's maybe in a, in a career or, or a job, maybe uh, in a school situation, maybe, uh, maybe just overall in your life, you just feel like, I'm not moving forward and there's no, uh, no momentum in my life. Every one of us has been at a point where we've been stuck. Maybe you've been stuck in a vehicle, you broke down on the side of the road. Uh, or got stuck in the mud somewhere. Um, we've all been stuck in, all, in so many different ways. Uh, I, I'd read the definition of stuck. I want to read just a couple. There's a long definition. I'm going to touch on a couple of them. Uh, the first is this. Stuck is this. Being unable to progress with a task or find the answer or solution to something. You get to a point and, and you're working on something and you just can't move beyond the point you're at, whether a task, maybe it's a homework assignment or something to that, to that effect, and you just can't progress beyond where you are. Uh, the other definition is this, to be or become fixed or jammed in one place as a result of an obstruction. Sometimes something gets in our way and causes us to be stuck because, because of an obstruction. And whether that's uh, financially, emotionally, relationally, we've all been in places where we've been stuck. I asked this question, uh, what are some of the areas of your life that have lost traction or momentum? What are some of the areas in your life that have lost traction or momentum? Could it be your relationship with God? Maybe your relationship with the Lord just feels stuck. God, I, I love you. I, I, I'm not walking away from my faith, but I just don't feel like I'm moving forward. I don't feel like I'm growing, that I'm getting ahead. Maybe it's the calling on your life. Maybe at some point, maybe like we talked about with these kids, you went to a camp or you went to a retreat or maybe it was at a youth group and, and you felt like God was impressing on you that you would live a certain way, that you would do some things in the kingdom or, or, or within the life of the church and you're going, that just hasn't happened yet. And God, I'm ready for it to happen, and you feel stuck. <laughs> I said, maybe you feel stuck in your marriage. Um, but not stuck in your marriage, but, but that your marriage isn't growing, all right? Can we just agree this morning, none of us are stuck in our marriage? Because that is, it's contrary to the word of God. You are, and, and I will say this as often as I can, marriage is covenant relationship. It's once for all. And, and so you're not, never stuck in your marriage. And if you feel like you're stuck in your marriage, you probably need to do some personal searching, soul searching, um, and allow God to real, reveal some things to you. But, but, but there are. I know Megan and I, we've walked in seasons where we're going, we're not growing as a couple. 
We don't feel closer, and in fact, the stresses of life and kids being born and things happening around us, you can, you can tend to drift apart, primarily because that's the plan of the enemy, is to divide the home by dividing the marriage. And so maybe you're not seeing that growth in your marriage, maybe in your parenting, your finances, maybe habits and addictions that you've struggled with, and you just feel stuck. You get the idea. Maybe it's your joy. Maybe there's just no joy in your life and hasn't been for a while and you feel stuck. But here's the reality and the truth is this, that God is not intended for us to live stuck lives. God is not intended for you to live a stuck life. Not because I said so, because his word says so. John 10.10 the anchor passage for our church that Satan comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus has come that you would have life and life abundantly. You don't live abundant life if you're stuck, amen? God did never intended for you to live a stuck life, and, and because of that, I believe he gives us everything we need to become unstuck when we're stuck, because you're going to get stuck. And so when you get stuck, you have to look to Jesus and say, Lord, how do I get unstuck? Because I don't want to be in this situation. I don't want to be stuck. And so last week we looked at the first point. I asked this question. What place does Jesus occupy in your life? In fact, we can put that up on the screen, right? Because that's an important question to ask. Who is Jesus in your life? What place does he occupy in your life? Is he just a good idea? A good luck charm? Someone who's like 911, you can call on him when you need him, right? Jesus is not all state. He's not farmers. Dun, 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 right? He can't do, yeah. It's like Red Robin. Yum, right? All right. He's not an insurance policy. Jesus has to be your anchor point. He has to be your Lord, your Savior, your King, your Commander, the Captain of your life. And so, last week we talked about being anchored to Jesus. Today, though, I want to talk about the next step for us in becoming unstuck. See, the first step is recognizing Jesus has to be the center of your life. But once you know that, once that Jesus is in that place, there's some things that we can practically do to leverage our lives in such a way that we go from being stuck to being unstuck. And so I want to talk to you today about breakthrough prayer. Breakthrough prayer. Why breakthrough prayer? Well, there's all kinds of prayer that we can pray. And we could spend a year's worth of Sundays talking about prayer and never exhaust the subject of prayer. There's a lot that goes into prayer. Prayers of petition and supplication, prayers of intercession, uh, spiritual prayers, and all kinds of prayers. But today I want to talk specifically about breakthrough prayer, as James calls it, the prayer of faith. The prayer of faith. See, when we're stuck, we need to come to a place where we call on the name of the Lord, and we cry out to Him in prayer and ask Him to move us out of our stuckness into freedom, to regain the momentum and the traction that he has for our lives. I, uh, I used to do a lot of off-roading. I had a Jeep Cherokee. It was a 4 by 4 It was lifted. It was cool. At least I thought it was cool. I look back on it now, and I'm like, that thing was a piece of junk, and I'm, I'm sorry. I actually drove my family around in it. Um, but in the moment, it was cool. And we would go to the desert, we would go up to the mountains and go off-roading. And one of the things that happens when you go off-roading, especially in the desert, is you get stuck. And one of the tools that, that they've developed is this. We can put a picture up. It's one of these. It's called a sand ladder or a recovery ramp. And if you ever like watched any off-roading, especially like the Camel Trophy, the Land Rovers that go all over the world, you'll always see strapped to the side of those or the roof of those, these things, these sand ladders. And what happens with these is when you end up in a situation like in a, in a sand dune or in a desert where your tires lose traction and they start digging in to that soft sand, you utilize these in this way. And I have a picture to show you. You take that ramp, that ladder, and you jam it in under that tire. 
And what it does is it wedges itself in, the, in that loose dirt and it gives the tire something to, to grip on, to, to, to have traction with. And it might go, be slow going. This Jeep might move forward a few feet and then get stuck again and then you've got to get out and do the whole process all over again until you get to a place where the ground is solid enough to help you move forward. These are useful tools in helping regain traction. Breakthrough prayer is like a sand ladder that we apply in our lives when we get stuck. It's something that God provides us, that he gives to us, where he wants you to know that in those moments when when you feel the wheel spinning and you're going, I'm moved, like the engine's running, the gas is, is down, but we're not moving forward. We're stuck. That he gives us a tool that we can use to leverage in the kingdom to allow us to move forward. I want you to open your Bibles this morning to the book of James book of James chapter 5, and we're going to spend some, times in, some time in James. Um, we're also going to jump down to the Old Testament um, and look at a story in a few minutes. In fact, let me give you the reference for that. You can turn there. Numbers chapter 13 is where we're going to end up. So we're going to start in James and end up in the book of Numbers. So James chapter 5. Love James. I love uh, the perspective that he has and the, and the, the way that he wrote um, there's a practicality about the book of James. And I love practical things. James writes for us some words that are so important for us to understand and, and know that words will be up on the screen. In fact, we're going to read verse 13 to 16 together. And here's what I'd like you to do. Um, reading out of the NIV, the words will be up on the screen I'd like for us to read this together out loud, so let's follow the words on the screen so we're all reading the same thing, Um, but it'd be good for us to vocalize these words this morning. Ready, go. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Amen. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. We're going to get to that next week. Um, we're going to get to that next week. Here's what happened. I was preparing for this message today, and I realized I was trying to cram too much information into one message, and so it's going to be a two-parter. So we're going to talk, continue talking about breakthrough prayer next week. I want to work through this passage and unpack a few thoughts for us, um, and rather than having points this morning, I want, to, I want to have more of observations, and we're going to focus on the first observation. Why points versus observations. I think I feel sometimes like with points, I'm like, oh, I'll take that one and I'll take that one, but I'll leave that one, right? That, that, that's not good. Observations, you can't argue with observations. They're just there, right? They're just in Scripture. And so I want us to draw some observations from Scripture. So the first observation is found in verse 13, where he says, if you're in trouble, what should you do? Pray. We can interpret or we can translate the word trouble as stuck. If you're stuck, what should you do? Pray. Okay, I'm going to try that again. If you're stuck, what should you do? You should pray. What does that prayer look like? And how should I pray? And when should I pray? And how often should I pray? And what kind of prayer should it be? We'll get to that in a minute. And he goes on to say, if you're happy... If you're happy, what should you do? Sing or praise. So if you're stuck, pray. If you're happy, if you're unstuck, praise. Stuck, pray. Unstuck, praise. I like that. I like that. We're going to spend most of the morning talking about this. We're going to get to verse 14, 15, and 16 
next Sunday, where we're going to talk about prayer and praise this morning. See, prayer and praise really make up what would be like a one-two punch for a boxer. If you ever watched Mike Tyson fight when he was boxing, the way that he would win those fights in the first round, sometimes in the first minute, was always this one-two combination where his opponent would come out and he was just so strong and so powerful that he would, he would cut him with a left and then that right hand was just ready to, if that person was a little bit stunned, that right hook would come through and lay him out on the mat. It was a one-two combination that won boxing match after boxing match. And if you ever paid for pay-per-view, I'm so sorry, right? It's like, it, you're like, really, that we just got the popcorn popped and that, that match was over. Why? Because that, that punch combination was so powerful and so effective. In the life of the believer, prayer and praise go hand in hand. I talked about this a few months ago when we were talking about the, the aircraft instruments and, you know, the... the, the the way that a pilot uses the instrumentation in the aircraft. And you never hear a pilot say, oh, I'm an, altim- I'm an altimeter pilot. I just go by the altimeter. And another one say, no, I'm the heading ind- indicator pilot. I just rely on that. It's like believers saying, well, I'm a prayer person. I just, I've got to pray, brother. got to pray. Well, I'm a word person. i got to work. And then, you, of course, you've got Jacques. I mean, you've got, the wor- <laughs> you've got the worship person who's going, oh, it's all about the worship. No, it's about all of these things. And that prayer and praise go hand in hand to deliver a knockout blow to the enemy. Prayer and praise go hand in hand so they can deliver a knockout blow to the enemy. This is important for us to catch, for us to understand. See, and here's the key distinction with these two. Both are meant to be done out loud. You know that it never says in Scripture that we, can, we should just pray in the quietness and the stillness of our own heart. It doesn't say it. Can Jesus meet us there? Absolutely. But we have relegated prayer in our Western context to this place where it's something that I just do quietly on the inside. And you definitely can't praise without opening your mouth. I'm sorry, it's just not possible. That when the Bible talks about praise, it's talking about making some kind of noise. It might be a joyful noise, and it might be a noisy noise, but just make a noise. Let sound come out of your mouth. They're designed and meant to be done out loud. Here's how I know. Luke chapter 11, verse 1 and 2 says this. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Let me stop there. How how did they know he was praying? Because they heard him. And he got done. And if he was just praying quietly on the inside, they wouldn't have known. Jesus is taking a nap. (laughs) Maybe it's like in your home, mommy just needs a minute, right? Right? She's just being quiet. Just give her a minute. Jesus didn't need a minute. He was praying to his father, and they knew because they heard him. And when he was done, they said, Jesus, teach us to pray because I want to pray the way you pray. By the way, John taught his disciples how to pray. Can you hear a bit of the whining? John taught his disciples, could you teach us? (laughs) Jesus had so much patience and still does. He said to them, listen to this, when you pray, say. Let's say that together. When you pray, say. He did not say, when you pray, think. When you pray, say, Father in heaven, or heavenly Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and we know the rest of the Lord's prayer. When you pray, say. Why? Because prayer was meant to be done out loud. Words are supposed to come out of our mouths. I was sharing during our prayer time before service today. A couple weeks ago, we were at Jacarena Christian Fellowship in Nairobi. 
in Kenya, and we were walking up. We had arrived for service, and um, outside of the, the main meeting hall, there was a little covered area, and there was a group of about eight people, and they were having their pre-service prayer meeting, which went for about an hour. And here's, here's how I knew it was a prayer meeting. In America, you would say, well, there was a group of people standing quietly in a corner holding hands. Not in Kenya. They were all praying at the same time, really loud, really fast, and they weren't listening to each other. Because when you pray, you're not praying for the benefit of the person. It will benefit them, but you're not praying to them. They were all praying at the same time, and they did this for an hour straight. And I don't remember hearing any of them actually stop to take a breath. It just was like this constant prayer that was being lifted up. It was like one voice being lifted up. And I was so blown away by that. I just remember thinking, Lord, teach us to pray like that. That our prayer would be so on fire that, that our prayer life is a church. And when we come together and we say, hey, church, we need to pray together, there wouldn't be this awkward silence in the room. You know what I'm talking about. Or that moment where you're going, I think I should pray. I think I'm supposed to pray. No, it's not me. I just, I, come on. Yeah, anyone been there? I don't want to sound foolish. Or you plan your prayer out in your mind. Or you start thinking, oh, I don't sound as good as that person. I'm just not going to say, who cares? Let's pray. Let's become people who pray, who pray out loud. Let's, when we pray, let's say. When we pray, let's say. It's not enough to just think it. We need to say it, church. Breakthrough prayer is prayer that is said out loud, not prayed in the quietness and the stillness of our own hearts. It's important to speak the words. It's important to speak the words. You might be thinking, well, can't I just pray in my heart? No. Yes, but no. You can, but it's not breakthrough prayer. And it's important to pray. Paul says that we need to be praying all the time. Pray without ceasing. And sometimes in, if you're at your office or in, in a classroom or in your work environment, you can't just be in the corner going, God, I just pray that you would move in this place, that you would just meet my coworker, Lord, that you would just cause them to, right? Yeah, that's just not going to, okay. Pray quietly. It's appropriate. But when you're at home, pray. Of course, I'm preaching on prayer, so God has been challenging me in the area of prayer. So this morning, I was fired up. I was driving to, to the church. I was at the office this morning, and I was, I was coming down Foothill Boulevard, and I was just praying. I was praying for the lady walking her dog. I was praying for the community. I was praying for you. I was just, and I was like, I started at the office. I got into the car, driving all the way down, and I, like, the more I was praying, the more fired up I was getting. You know what I'm talking about? You ever been there? If you've never been there, I invite you to join me because it's awesome. And I stop at the stoplight to turn left on Lorraine, and I'm just praying out loud. The windows are rolled up, but I'm loud. And I glance over to my right, and there's a guy with his window rolled down, and he's looking at me. And he's got that look like, what are you doing? Because I, I can tell you're not singing a song. And he's just looking at me, and I was like, oh. And you know what I did? I just started praying for him. I know who he was, but God, you know who this guy is. Would you just, and I made my left turn. Because when we pray out loud, something happens. There's breakthrough that takes place. And I'm going to unpack that a little bit for you. You might be going, Barry, I'm not so sure about your theology right now. I want to show you in scripture why this is important. But doesn't God just know my thoughts? Yes, he does. And the quiet, still prayer, absolutely, he hears it. But Satan does not read your thoughts. He does not read your mind. And this might come as a surprise to you. So let me unpack this a little bit for you this morning. Satan is a created being. Our enemy, the deceiver, the liar, the evil one, is a created being. And he lacks the ability to read your mind. He is, um, he is not omniscient. He is not all-knowing. Satan and God are not equal opposites. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. 
He is created and he is limited in his ability and in his power. He cannot read your mind. What does that mean? That when you pray quietly inside without speaking words, God knows what you're saying, but Satan does not. And here's why that's important. When Jesus was confronted with evil spirits, he always spoke out. He called them out and he rejected them and he cast them out and he sent them away. In his name, in the authority he had, he spoke. And in fact, at times he told evil spirits to be quiet, to shut their mouths. It's important that words come out of our mouths. Why? Because when you do, the enemy hears the declaration of your words. And when you call on the name of Jesus Christ and you declare the promises that he has spoken to you, the enemy is reminded that he is a defeated foe. And the Bible says is at the name of Jesus, he must flee. And so you have to speak it. You can't just think it. Now, listen, some people can go ahead and make this weird and there are all kinds of people who are like, Well, I didn't pray that out loud, so that's probably why. No, don't go there. We need both prayer. We need the quiet prayer. We need the loud prayer. We need the breakthrough prayer. We need the intercessory prayer. We need corporate prayer, and we need prayer by ourselves. And we've lost our appetite as a church in America to pray. That the least attended meetings we hold are the prayer meetings. And when people do show up, so often they're like dozing off. I'm just trying to stay awake. Maybe you've ever been in a place in your life where you're like, Lord, tomorrow I'm committing to pray. I'm going to get up early and I'm going to get to pray. And, and you wake up early and then you doze off. And then you wake up after dozing off and you're like, oh, I feel so guilty. Well, I better just not try at all rather than mess that up. No, pray. Pray, pray, pray. Pray in your car. Pray when you're driving down the street. Pray in your home. Pray in the shower. Praise in the shower. Right? Great acoustics. And your voice always sounds good to you. (laughs) When you pray out loud, what's on the inside comes out, and Satan all of a sudden realizes, wait a minute, you're calling on the name of Jesus, and he kicked my butt. I'm done. I have no power. I have no authority. It's one of my favorite prayers to pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you've given me all authority in heaven and on earth, and you have removed the authority of the enemy in my life. To pray that out loud, just saying these words right now, that in the heavenly realms, if we could see in the heavenlies, that the demonic would be scurrying for the door because they cannot stand. They cannot stand. See, the enemy can't read your mind. All he can do is make suggestions. He can make suggestions. He's a liar. He's the father of lies. It's all he knows how to do. And he will make suggestions in your life based on what you do and what you say. And so if there is a foothold, if there's an opportunity that he sees where you are wavering in your faith, he will capitalize on the opportunity. He will make the most of it. So your words have power. When you speak out loud the promises of God, you hear them. Like when you're speaking, you hear your own voice. When I'm speaking out loud, when I was at the office this morning praying, it was echoing in that room. I knew I was speaking because I could hear myself. And can I tell you this morning, when you speak out the promises of God and the truth of who God is, I love praying scripture because I'm reminded of who he is and my faith is strength, strengthened. Faith will rise as we wait upon the Lord. It's in those moments where I'm speaking out who he is and what he's done for me that my faith is strengthened. Not only that, other people hear it. The disciples heard Jesus and said, we want to pray like that. That people will hear you pray and your prayer will strengthen their faith. Why is corporate prayer so important? Because your faith will be strengthened as you hear the declarations and the words coming out of other people's mouths. And most importantly, the enemy hears it and he must flee. He must. 
no options. See, God has given us authority. Jesus, at one point in Luke chapter 10, he had sent the disciples out. He had spent time training them, and, and now it was like time to release the hens, the chicks from, right, from the coop and say, hey, go do your, go do your ministry. I've, I've empowered you. Go try this out. And so they go out two by two, and they're ministering, and they come back, and they give this report to Jesus, and they're blown away. And they, and they say this, Lord, even the demons submit to your name. They're like excited. We went out, and, and, and in your name, we were praying for people, and even the demons were submitting. And it was awesome, because you weren't there, but just because your name was in our mouths, stuff was happening, and it was incredible. Jesus replies to them and says, listen, I was there when Satan fell like lightning from heaven, when he went the wrong way, when he made the, the wrong choice. I was there. What he's saying to them is, don't get all excited about that. He says in verse 19, I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Again, another verse that that some people have made weird. It's not weird. What Jesus is saying is there's nothing that can harm you because of the authority in the name of Jesus Christ in your mouth. In your mouth. That the name of Jesus coming over your lips out loud has the power to demolish strongholds. He goes on to say, however, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. What does he remind them? By the way, you have to stay anchored to me. Don't, don't get distracted by this stuff. Remember that I'm your anchor, that you're connected to me for eternity. Yes, you've been given authority. Yes, my name will drive out those demons. But that never becomes the focus. Can I just encourage us? God will move in power in your life. But so many people over the millennia have gotten distracted by the power and they forget about the power source that we need to stay connected to Jesus. But he gave them and he gives us authority, authority all throughout scripture. Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, now go. And he gives that authority to the disciples and to us. We have to stay anchored to Jesus and here's why. Because our words have the power for blessing and for cursing. Our words have the power for blessing and cursing. Your words are more powerful than you know they are. James 3, verse 9 through 12. James writes this, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not B, this should not be. It's not okay that in one minute that praise will come out of our mouths and in the next minute cursing would come out of our mouths. God is not okay with that. This is not acceptable in the eyes of the Lord. It's not acceptable in the eyes of the Lord because our words have power and our words have authority. So my question for you this morning is, are you in trouble? Are you stuck at any point in your life? If you are, are you praying? And if you're happy, are you praising? Are words coming out of your mouth? Are you in trouble? You know, if you're stuck in a hole and you have a shovel in your hand, the best thing to do is to stop digging. Amen? If you're in a pit, if you're in a hole, and there's a shovel in your hand, the answer is not to keep digging. Stop digging. Are you in trouble? I want to encourage you in Jesus' name today, stop digging the hole. Stop digging the hole. What do I mean? It looks like this. Let me paint a picture of what it looks like. We come to the Lord, and so often our prayer lives look like this. Lord, there's some kind of crisis in my life, so I'm going to give you about five minutes. 
Because I'm going to come and I'm going to pray and ask that you meet me in this thing. Lord, my finances are in trouble. I don't know where we're going to pay these bills. There's more month than there's money. Right? You ever been there? More month than money. And Lord, I don't know what the answer is. Amen. Would you take care of me? Amen. And then I go over to my brother and I'm hanging out with Fred. And all that's coming out of my mouth is, Fred, I just don't know how this is going to work out. There's just my job, my boss just won't give me a raise, and there's just not enough, and the bank, you know, the stupid bank did this, and you know what, and my brother owes me some money, and if he would just give me some money, blessing and cursing, and we tend to do more of this and less of that, you're digging a hole, you're cursing yourself. What is coming out of your mouth? Are you stuck? If you are, what is coming out of your mouth? Because what I'm effectively doing is undoing what I just did in prayer. Why? Because my faith doesn't match my prayer. And God is not going to answer a prayer that is lacking faith. Why? Because he's faithful and he loves me too much to give me something That is more like a two-year-old whining and crying for something that they should get, but really don't deserve. Because he's a loving father. And I never, never forget that the love of God oversees all of this and he knows what's best for us. But if I'm praying prayers that say, God, would you help me? And then I'm going out and I'm cursing the very thing that God said he would do. I'm undoing in my own faith what God wants to build. And not only that, when I'm speaking those words, I'm hanging out with Fred and I'm like, oh my gosh, you wouldn't believe how much my wife spends. She doesn't, by the way. I'm, that's me in our marriage. <laughs> what I've now done is I've cursed my wife, I've cursed my marriage, right? And the enemy has heard those words. And a plan in, 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 in the pit of hell is hatched to go into my home and say, listen, finances is a problem in his home. How do we know? Because he said so. And there's a, there's a foothold in that marriage that we can get in between and start leveraging to bring division. That is what cursing is. It's very real. It's not, ooh, there's a curse. Right? Cursing is this, is when I speak words that are contrary to the word of God out loud and the enemy hears them and says, I can use that in your life to steer and manipulate and lie and steal and kill and ultimately destroy. So if my prayer life does not match what's coming out of my mouth the rest of the time, there's a problem. I'm going to be stuck, not just stuck, I'm digging a hole. Stop Digging the hole. Stop digging the hole. You might be going, I don't know how to stop. Then come and have a conversation with me, one of the leaders in our church, and we'll try and help and get, try and get you the help that you need. At the very least, we can pray with you. And that's not the least, that's powerful. But usually there's a journey... Right? Stop digging, put down the shovel, and start building a ladder, and let's get out of the hole. And let's call on the name of the Lord. James 1.26, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. All right. This verse smacked me between the eyes. Here's why. If I consider myself religious, I go to church, I pay my tithe, I go to a small group, right? I'm faithful, I serve with the kids, I'm a nice person, and my mouth is out of control. It says that everything else I do is worthless. And not only that, I deceive myself because I don't keep a tight rein on my tongue. Now, who is the deceiver? The enemy. And so when my lips are loose and I'm speaking things that are not honoring to God, I take 
the enemy's job away from him and I do it for him. Let's let that sink in for a second. He doesn't even have to do anything. I do it for him. I deceive myself and Satan's like, (laughs) job's done. You just do it to yourself. You don't even, there's no blaming Satan. The devil made me, no, you just did it. Because your words do not line up with the word of God. And you are undermining and, and cutting, the work, uh, cutting your, your legs out from under yourself. Stop doing the enemy's work for him, church. Stop doing his work for him. That every word that proceeds from your mouth bring honor and glory to God and to his kingdom. To build up, to establish, and not to tear down and destroy. I would venture to guess that the number one tool the enemy has used in the church globally to bring utter destruction is words that are spoken and misspoken against fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord. And when that happens, we do the enemy's work for him. He doesn't have to divide the church. We do it ourselves. Can I just declare over this church, not in this place, not in this house, that we will be a church that honors God and honors each other with our words. That means this, that I don't go to my brother and say, I'm going to pick on Fred again. I'll pick on Jim as well. Hey, Fred, I just need you to pray with me for Jim. Listen. The candy coating doesn't hide the poop on the inside. <laughs> That's not an M&M you're eating. <laughs> that kind of prayer does not honor the Lord. If I, the Bible says if I have an issue with Jim, I go to Jim. And if there's a problem in Jim's life, I go to Jim. And if Jim doesn't listen, then I come to Fred and say, listen, just I need you to come and have a conversation with me with Jim. But I don't like preface it and go, let me just tell you what's going on. It should break our hearts. It should break our hearts. Not in this house. And I commit to you as your pastor, I hate confrontation. I am, I just, it is, God is doing a work in me, but sometimes it's needed. And I commit to you, if I hear in our church that people are disparaging each other, we will have a conversation. Because not in this house. Let's be a blessing and not a curse. Those words, loose words, unholy words, gossip laden words, words of unbelief, whether for yourself or against other people, will withhold God's promise and his preferred future for your life. In Numbers chapter 13, I have the whole story here. We're not, we don't have time to read it this morning. Go read Numbers 13. It's the account of Moses and the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, and they come up to the Jordan River, and they're looking across this river at the promised land, this land that God said... That's yours. And it's awesome. And they send out 12 spies, and I'm not sure why they even did that. I don't think it was an act of faith. I believe it was an act of unbelief. They send out 12 spies, go check out the land, let's see if it's really that good and what's, what's kind of there. The 12 come back, and it says that 10 of them had a bad report, and two of them had a good report. Joshua and Caleb were the two who had the good report. The other 10, so there were one from each tribe. And they bring this report, and they start speaking, and the first thing they say is, yeah, it's awesome. It has everything that God says it has. In fact, they brought some of the fruit back, and they said, check this out. And then there is a big... But the people are powerful, the cities are large, the descendants are like giants. 
and they started speaking these words out loud. And then I love Caleb just gets just frustrated. And it says in verse 30, we can put it up there. I'm just going to kind of paraphrase through it. It says that Caleb silenced them. And he silenced the people in front of Moses. He said, stop it. And I say, shut up. Shut up. Shut your mouths. Stop talking. We should go up and take possession of the land, for we certainly can do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack these people. They're stronger than we are. And listen to this. And they spread among the Israelites, Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. And you know what happened? That generation did not inherit the land. God waited until they all died and said, you will not inherit the promise I have for you if your words do not line up with the promise. If you don't believe me that I have something good for you, why would I let you have it? And he lets them wander in the desert. Now, here's the awesome thing. God is faithful because when we exhibit faith, he has to show himself faithful. He can't not. Joshua and Caleb, we assume, were about the same age as the other spies that went into the land. Ten of them died, and two of them lived. Not only that, Joshua and Caleb end up leading the children of Israel across that same river to go on to defeat Jericho and the rest of the promised land. So God does some genetic re-engineering, because he can, and he says, Joshua and Caleb, because you were faithful, I will be faithful. And I will extend your life so that you can walk in the promise because you stood against those other knuckleheads who cursed the blessing. Later on, when Joshua is leading the children of Israel against Jericho, God had given instructions that they were supposed to march once around the city every day for six days, and then on the last day, seven days. And that was God's instruction. Joshua adds this, and don't let a word come out of your mouths, not even a sound. Why? Because he's remembering, and he's like, I am not going to be stuck in the desert for 40 more years, so shut your mouths. Right? You ever done that with your kids? You're like, don't, don't, even, don't even think about it. Joshua's doing that with a million people. Just, just, don't even, not even a, mm. Why? Because our words are powerful and the wrong words will prevent us from walking in our destiny. Are you stuck? It's time to pray a breakthrough prayer that says, God, I am going to call on and receive and proclaim and declare the promises you have, and I'm going to reject the lies of the enemy, and I'm going to choose today to shut my mouth when it comes to the cursing and open my mouth when it comes to the blessing. Are you in trouble? Pray. Are you happy? Praise. Either way, your mouth is filled with good things. And God will usher you and your family and this church and this community into the promises he has. Amen. Let's stand together. Here's the problem with this message. It means absolutely nothing if you just go home and think about it. Can I encourage you? This message, more than any I've ever preached from this pulpit before, would you go do something with this? Would you open your mouth today and start declaring the promises of God? Claiming the promises of God in your life. Casting down fear, casting down doubt, reminding the enemy that he's a defeated foe, that we have the victory in Jesus. Would you do that? If you're married, would you go home this afternoon, find, 
Find 10 minutes. Just take 10 minutes today. And would the two of you sit down together? I don't, I don't care if you're getting along. If you feel stuck, I don't care. Do this. Go home. Take time. Sit down with each other and start praying for your marriage and your family according to the promises of God's word. And if you don't know what those are, find out. Google it. God, what are God's promises for my family? You will find 70 zillion websites. And start praying scripture over your family. And I mentioned last week at the end of this series, we're going to have a Sunday where we're going to have testimonies. We want to hear the testimony of what God does in your life, in your marriage, in your work. This works at your workplace as well. You have a boss you don't get along with? Stop bad-mouthing them and start praying for them. And watch God turn it around. And worship team, you guys are welcome to come on up. Put it into practice. Let words come over your lips. And watch what God does. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, I declare over this congregation that we are the head and not the tail. We're above and not below. That we are more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. That we've been given authority to trample on snakes and scorpions. And that nothing will harm us. And we don't do this as some kind of positive affirmation. We do this because this is, this is the truth of your word for us today. God, I pray that as we declare as a church that broken marriages would be restored. Wayward children would come home. Finances that are upside down would be turned right side up bodies would be healed broken hearts would be repaired and restored in Jesus name that those who are discouraged would find hope in you that depression would be gone in Jesus name that destinies and callings would be rekindled and restored and Lord I declare over this congregation that everything that the enemy has succeeded in stealing, in re- destroying, in robbing would re- be restored tenfold, a hundredfold, a thousandfold in Jesus' name to the glory of God. I want to ask this morning, if you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, if you've never said yes to him, you've never invited him to be the Lord and King of your life. I don't want to miss an opportunity to ask and give you the time to say yes. If that's you, would you just simply raise your hand? We want to agree with you. Excuse me. Would you raise your hand? In fact, if you raise your hand, would you just say the word yes? Anyone this morning would say yes to Jesus. Yes to Jesus. Amen. For the rest of us, You've got homework. Let's go and speak the truth of God. Amen. Amen. Let's worship together. Amen.